chapter 2 and verse 36. There is no place that I would rather be this morning than right here in this house of God with all of you. What a sweet, sweet presence of God is here today. And I said it the other day just off the cuff about having a some sort of device in here that we could uh, block all cell phone use and my wife caught the vision and uh, I will I just go ahead and warn you I do have with our, our new Wi-Fi devices the ability to see who's on their phone using Wi-Fi or not and I can disable it from my phone. So, just fair warning, teenagers. Oh, I just burst Jesse's bubble. So, just so you know, that's a that's a warning. I mean, it just, and you can think, you know what? It's fine. You can shut the Wi-Fi off. I'll just start using my cellular data. But I still have a microphone, and I'll embarrass your socks off. Because this is the house of God. This is the house of God. And so there are things that we might do outside the house of God that we don't do in the house of God. So, just saying, if you're using your Bible on your phone, that's one thing. But if you're checking Facebook or checking your bank account, balancing your checkbook, clipping your fingernails, and so on and so forth. Those are just things that we don't do in the house of God. Okay? You didn't come to the house of God to get a manicure or a pedicure. My God, that's bad. If just, this is a fair warning, I'm just letting you know, if I see somebody take their shoe off, start clipping their toenails, I will not go silent. Okay. There, I, had, I don't know that I've ever seen that happen during service anywhere. But just know, if that happens in this church, yeah. I'll just go ahead and give you my title before we get started. Save Yourselves. Acts 2. <laughs> oh, Jesus' name. Acts 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, those four little words right there we could spend weeks preaching about. Both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, What shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, we love verse 38, and we should. That is heaven's salvation plan. However, there is more in your Bible than just Acts 2 and verse 38. So we cannot just solely preach Acts 2.38. That is always going to be the backbone of being apostolic. That's going to be the backbone of being Pentecostal. In fact, I would dare say that would be the backbone of being Christian at all. Because you cannot be Christ-like without Acts 2.38. You cannot be Christ-like without the death, the burial, and the resurrection. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 39, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Verse 40, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves. 
from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received the word responded. They were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. Verse 40, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. We're going to preach that this morning. Save yourselves. Save yourselves. Now that sounds contradictory to the Word of God. That sounds, if we just use those two words alone, that sounds like heresy. Save yourselves. But we're going to preach it today. Are you going to preach with me this morning? I know you won't be on your cell phone, so you're going to preach with me this morning, right? In Jesus' name, let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, we love you and we thank you for all you have done. We thank you for all you're doing. God, I pray that your will would be accomplished in this place today. Lord, that the hearts of men and women and young people would be pricked in order for them to respond to your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we give you all praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Why don't you clap your hands unto the Lord this morning? In Jesus' name, you can be seated. Save yourselves. There is a lot that we have preached. There is a lot that we could preach from Acts chapter 2. It is the record of the birth of the first church. It is the birthplace. It is the delivery room of the promises of God. It is a place where we find the church in its infancy. But just because it was in its infancy does not mean it was without power. Does not mean that it was without maturity. But they are operating in the things, the plan, the words, the teachings that God incarnate, Jesus Christ, has left them. The things that they both heard and saw, that's what they are preaching. That's what they are living. We talked about it briefly on Wednesday night, how God starts with an individual, and then it becomes more than just me. It becomes us. It becomes more than the sum of our parts. It becomes us as a body, us as a people, us as a nation. It started with Jesus looking at Peter. He said, I'm not going to call you Peter. I'm going to call you Cephas. You're a stone. And upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's, he's letting Peter understand that he's going to use him in a powerful, dynamic way. And then we find it moving from just being an individual experience with Peter who is being revived in that conversation. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, feed my, feed my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. It's a personal revival. Three times he affirms his love for Jesus Christ, whereas three times he had denied him on the night of his arrest. It's a personal revival of purpose within Peter. And then it moves from the individual revival of the apostle Peter to then on the day of Pentecost, Peter, standing up with the eleven, began to preach to the crowd the wonderful word of God. And he says in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, without doubt, that God hath made the same Jesus whom you crucified. He has made him both Lord and Christ. That means he was more than just what you could see with your eyes. 
There was more to him. There was more going on than just the words coming out of his mouth. There was more going on than just the earthly son of a carpenter and a young virgin woman. There is more going on than just his brother James. There's more going on than what meets the eye. There was He was both the Lord and Christ. We could preach that for weeks, but we're moving forward today. When they heard this they were pricked in their hearts there was an awareness that came into their hearts there was guilt what did we do he's preaching to a group of people who have been searching for the messiah they've been waiting on the deliverer and now peter is saying that deliverer that you've been waiting for you crucified and god has made him both lord and Christ. That means he had an earthly purpose and a heavenly purpose. Both the Lord and Christ. There was, there was conviction that began to enter into their hearts. Bible tells us that godly sorrow worketh repentance. Peter sees godly sorrow in their, in their eyes. He can feel it emanating from their spirits, from their body language even. He knows that there is godly sorrow. And what does he do? He inserts there in that moment of godly sorrow, in that moment of their vulnerability. He says, now, this is what you've got to do. When they ask him, what shall we do to be saved? What must we do to, to, uh, to, to take care of this guilt, the shame that we are feeling. He gives them the plan. He says, repent. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. It leads to repentance. Peter inserts repentance here as the first step of biblical salvation. you got to have faith in God. That's what I just preached to you. He's both Lord and Christ. You're recognizing that fact. Now it's time to repent of your sin. It's time to make a change. It's time to, to decide I'm living differently. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins as if your sin never happened. It's washed away. Ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, God is not willing that any should perish. So who is God calling? Everyone. Acts 2.38 is not just for the Pentecostal. We don't own the rights on Acts 2.38. It's not settled somewhere with its own identification number in the, the Library of Congress saying that this scripture belongs to only the apostolic Pentecostals. But when the Baptist sees Acts 2.38, it's for the Baptist. It's for the Methodist. It's for the Catholic. It's for the Muslim. It's for the Buddhist. I'm losing some of you right now. It's for the, the Hindu. Because all should come to repentance. The Lord is calling everyone. Acts 2.38 is for the agnostic. Acts 2.38 is for the atheist. Acts 2.38 is for the pantheist. Acts 2.38 is for the homosexual. Acts 2.38 is for the transvestite. Acts 2.38 is for the hooker. Acts 2.38 is for the drug addict. Acts 2.38 is for the messed up. Acts 2.38 is for the dirty. Acts 2.38 I'm about to rock your world, but Acts 2.38 is for the pedophile. Because when we get them to Acts 2.38, and when we get them through Acts 2.38, they're no longer a Baptist, they're no longer a Methodist, they're no longer a Catholic, they're no longer a Muslim. They become a child of God. They're no longer a hooker. They're no longer a transvestite. They're no longer a homosexual. They're no longer a pedophile. They become a blood-washed child of God, forgiven, their sins remitted. 
I just got to get them to Acts 2.38. It's a good time to decide whether or not you believe that. Or do I just want to fit Acts 2.38 into my pretty little box? Put a little ribbon on it that says you can only come if I say you can come. Who died and made you God? Who died and gave you the authority to make those calls? But Jesus died. He didn't give you the authority to make those calls. For the promise is unto you. Thank you, Jesus. We rejoice in that. It's unto your children. Thank you, Lord. Me and my family are going to be saved. And to as many, to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. With many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Untoward means perverse. It means crooked. It means morally twisted. Now, you and I do not have the ability to redeem ourselves. That means we don't have the ability to grasp eternal salvation under our own power or under our own works under our own abilities in fact the old testament prophet jeremiah said my righteousness is like filthy rags it's disgusting it's repulsive there's nothing that i could do to ever get my righteousness to the point of ever being good enough to save myself let alone anybody else but here we find Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost and declaring it's time for you to save yourselves. He did not negate the fact that Jesus was the Savior. He had just preached to them that he is both Lord and Christ. So why would he stop his sermon? Why would he end his sermon? This is what he ended with. This was his closing statement. With many other words, he exhorted them. But he ended his, his message with, Save yourselves from this perverse, crooked, morally twisted generation. He was not telling them that, hey, you as an individual have the ability to redeem your own sins. But what he was telling them is that you as an individual are the only one who can make up your mind that you are going to live for God. You are the only one that can pull yourself up by the bootstraps and say, listen, dude, you're getting to church today. Listen, dude, you're going to live for God today. I don't care what anybody else is doing. I don't care what everybody else is believing. I am going to live for God. Peter was saying, you've heard the word. You've heard it preached to you, but I cannot make up your mind for you. It's time for you to take on some responsibility and say, I will save myself. He's calling for a response. Every time you come to the house of God, you have a responsibility. Just sit down so they can see me. Preacher's preaching. Hang on a second. about 30 seconds to save yourself. Y'all did it. Heath, you on your phone? Just checking. Isaiah? All right, just connected the Wi-Fi. We'll have to work on this. I've got a choice to make. 
Man, I could pull up my Facebook. Man. Sister Kathy, what a post 58 minutes ago. Sister and they prayed for her car. Like, well, pastor, it's about church. It's about godly things. I know. I know. I know. But I, I have a, a responsibility every time I come to the house of God. Every time I hear the preached word of God. I'm in the realm of salvation right now. Adrian, I've got a choice to make. I could respond to the Word of God. I could respond to the preached Word of God. And I could let the preaching drive me to an altar. I could let the preaching drive me to a place where I say, God, I need you more. Or I could say, you know what? Altar calls going on. They won't notice if I slip out. There's some folks that need to hear this that aren't here today. Save yourselves. I've got a choice to make for my children. See, you've got a choice to make for your children. Y'all are laughing. He's got a choice to make today for his children. He's not married and he's not fathered any children. But he's got a choice to make today for children that have not yet been born. Am I going to save myself today so my children in the future will have an opportunity to live for God? Isaac, you got the same choice to make today. Craig, you got the same choice to make today. We've got a choice to make of whether or not I'm going to live for God today. How am I going to respond to the preaching? Are my children going to see me being the first one in the altar whether or not I feel like the preaching is for me? Just because pastor's not stepping on your toes today, will you still find your way to an altar? Will your children see you bum rush the altar because mom or dad wants more of God than they walked into this place with? Or will they, will they feel you grab them by the hand and say, all right, honey, altar call's going on. We can leave now. What's that teaching my child? What's that teaching my babies? It's teaching them that the altar is more uh, is not more important than the restaurant. It's teaching my children that a relationship with God comes second to a family reunion. Save yourselves. Peter's preaching to them, saying, listen, you got a choice to make. You've heard the word. Now how will you respond? You've heard Jesus Christ and him crucified preach. You've heard repentance and baptism in Jesus' name preach. You've heard the infilling of the Holy Ghost preach. Well, I did that a long time ago. That's just not for me. I guess we can leave early and go eat fried chicken. But what is that teaching your children? What's that teaching your grandchildren? What precedent are you setting? When your baby's world is falling apart, will they remember how you responded by running to an altar? And will they realize, Mama said, the altar's the best place for me to be. Daddy, I remember when he let tears fall out of his eyes and snot running all over the floor. That's what I want to do. Or will they remember the times you got sideways with the man of God and said, I won't respond. remember the times where you said hey guess what it's okay it's okay we can go ahead and leave now we come just enough to appease our conscience but not enough to change our soul what will my children remember they remember when hard times came dad prayed to dad say, man, let's go. We got to wash the car. Peter ends his message 
with a call to a response. Paul would do it. We preached about it the other night. I pray you in Christ's stead. I'm begging you, live for God. Peter's doing the same thing on the day of Pentecost. Jesus Christ is already glorified. He's already sitting in a position of ultimate power. And so I'm here as his mouthpiece. Save yourself. Make a decision to live for God today. heard it they felt it they were pricked in their heart let me just say being pricked in your heart is not enough feeling a little stab of guilt is not enough thank God I still feel yeah thank God you do feel don't ever want to become numb. Just go ahead and leave that cell phone on the floor, Jesse. Because you got a choice to make, Jesse. You got a choice to make today. What are your children going to experience? Right, you don't have children, but you are going to have kids, right? You're going to have a family. Most likely. That's right. You want your kids running the streets? Do you want your kids to know what it feels like to be stabbed, to be shot, to be afraid for their life? Thank you. Jesse's preaching with me today. For those who couldn't hear him, he said, why would I want that? Jesse's going to be a good dad. Why would I want that, pastor? Why would I want my kids to experience fear? Why would I want my kids to be worried about whether they're going to make it out of the situation or not? Why would I want my kids to feel the searing hot poker of being stabbed and a drug deal gone bad? Why would I want... I don't want them to. That's the point. But I'm making decisions today. To prevent that in their future. And Peter is standing there in the middle of the streets of Jerusalem. And he's preaching to them. You've got a choice to make. Save yourselves. Let me preach to all of our church kids here for a second. Let me preach to all of our kids whose parents come to church. Your Your parents' relationship with God will not ensure you making it to heaven. I'm about to get in your grill. Isaac, I know you can take it, so you're going to be first. Your mom's prayer life is not going to be your prayer life. Your dad's prayer life is not your prayer life. They're separate. You've got to have a prayer life. You understand me? Just because mom and dad come to church, just because mom and dad make it to heaven does not mean that you automatically make it to heaven. Because the Bible says there comes a point of accountability in our lives. There comes a point where now I'm making choices on my own. I'm out. I'm I'm still under the umbrella of their protection because I'm living in their home, but I still have a choice to make. Mom and dad can't make that choice for me. Thank you. Harper, mom and dad can't make that choice for me. They can't decide if you're going to live for God the rest of your life. Mackenzie, your parents cannot decide whether you raise your children in the house of God or not. That's a choice you have to make. Gabby, that's a choice you have to make. Whether or not your mom and dad fast, that's, that's not you fasting. You've got to fast. You've got to pray. You've got to read the Word of God. You've got to come in on Tuesday nights for prayer. And you've got to seek the face of God just because your mom and dad live for God. Grayson? Same thing for you, bud. I love Grayson. And the other day we were at the park, sitting under the pavilion, 
We started praying. That got me. We don't ever have to ask Grayson twice whether he's going to pray or not. But, but Grayson's making decisions. I'm going to live for God. And to all of our kids that are here whose parents may not come to church, Taylor, you've still got a decision to make. And there's liberty for you to make your decision. Because whether or not mom and dad make it to heaven, whether or not mom and dad decide to live for God does not mean I don't have to live for God. Just because mom and dad don't want to live for God doesn't mean I can't live for God. Zoe, you can still make it to heaven, sweetheart. You can get filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, and live for God. Because Peter ended that first message of the first church with save yourselves, work out your salvation. I got a choice to make. I missed one. I already got Zeke. I got Zeke on the last round. I didn't miss Craig. I'll get to you in a second. No matter how many days your dad's an absolute jerk at home, you can still choose to live for God. In spite of long hours at the church, that doesn't mean I'm going to get bitter against the church and the kingdom of God. Because i got a choice to make. Just because I see the nitty and the gritty and the ugly and the bad and all of those things that go on, doesn't mean that's going to put a sourness in my spirit. Because I've got a choice to make. That I'm going to live for God no matter what anybody else does. And Craig, even when your siblings decide they don't want to live for God, that wasn't your parents' decision. That was their decision. But that doesn't affect you. It does affect you because you feel the hurt. But that doesn't mean that you have to follow that same path because you've got to save yourself. I'm making up my mind. No matter what anybody else does, I am going to live for God. I'm going to save myself, Zeke. I'm going to save myself for the kingdom of God. The hand of God is on my life. And I'm making a choice to save myself. I'm making a choice to live for God. Sorry, I missed you the first time because you're shorter. Guess what, dude? God's got a plan for you. And I'm not just saying that because you're in the sanctuary today. I'm saying that because I believe it. You got a choice to make. Am I going to live for God? Or am I going to be defined by everything going on in my world? No. I can live for God. I can live for God. God's got a plan. Adrian, you weren't here the other night. No, no, no. You were here Friday for youth. But the other night, or the other, no, I think it was last Sunday morning or the week before, I was preaching. I was reading scripture and I heard somebody talking while I was reading scripture. My first reaction was, who's talking while I'm reading the Bible? But then I looked up and guess what I saw? I saw your little brother, Alan. And as I was reading the scripture in English, he was reading it in Spanish. And you know what I thought? I said, man, that is wicked cool. Far out, brother. Hang loose. Why? Because God's got a purpose for Adrian. But Adrian's got a choice to make. 
He's making some good ones. He's coming to church on Sundays. He's coming to youth on Friday nights. But God's going to fill him with the Holy Ghost. He's going to be baptized in Jesus' name. The hand of God's going to rest upon him because he's going to make up his mind. I want to be a man of God. Helen, you're sandwiched right in the middle. Pastor loves you. I do. I love all three of you. Do you guys know that you're an answer to my prayers? You are. It was 2017. I've got a little note in my office. I can show you if you don't believe me. I said, Christian Life Tabernacle of Huntington, Indiana will be a multicultural church. You know what that means? It means it's not just going to be a bunch of white people in here. And I still, I've got a picture of you guys on my phone that I took from the, I know, like, whoa, that's weird, Pastor. The first time that we picked you guys up for church and you're sitting up here, just adding a little color to the mix. It's my, my two... Latino buddies. And I love you guys. All three of you. You're an answer to prayer. But you got a choice to make. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. I don't want to live for the world. I don't want what the world's got for me. I want to respond every time the word is preached. I want to respond to the preaching of the word. I want to respond. It's not enough just to feel it in my heart. I want to respond. That's why you don't have to wait for an altar call. If you feel like responding to the word, you rush the altar. That's why we don't want little kids up here playing. Not because we don't like little kids. We love kids. But I don't want them up here running cars back and forth across the steps and so on because it desensitizes them to the, the power of the altar. Man, this isn't a place that I come to play. This is a place that I come for my life to be changed. I can walk up here with baggage. I can walk up here with chains. I can walk up here with issues. And if I choose to respond to the word of God, if I choose to save myself by stepping out of my pew and coming to an altar, then I've got the opportunity to leave a changed person. Save yourselves. Peter's saying, I preached it to you as straight and as plain as I can. But I can't make up your mind for you. I can't choose for you. If I, if I could choose for people, we wouldn't have a building big enough. Because I just walk down the aisles at Walmart and say, hey, you're going to live for God. Boom, okay. Listen to the words coming out of my mouth. Woo. That's not the way it works. God created you and he created me with this thing called free will. It means I have the power to choose whether or not I live for God. Let me just pause here and tell you, you can choose your sin, but you can't choose the consequences. And just because you make a bad decision doesn't mean I'm going to throw you to the curb and haul you out with the trash. There'll be some consequences of that sin. But if, if you're willing to not live there, we've got this mentality in modern Christianity that we can just continue to live in our sin and the God of all grace Last time I checked, Jesus got out of the grave. Okay. Some of y'all getting nervous. Some of y'all getting quiet. 
I will. Thank you. Thank you for your permission. Galatians chapter 4. I'm skipping a lot. Galatians 4. Verse 3. There's a, there's a lot of history here that we don't have time to cover this morning. Let me just break it down to you really quick. There was a tradition in the Jewish people that once a child reached a certain age, once a, once a, a son reached a certain age, and they proved themselves under tutors and guidance, counselors, for lack of a better term, mentors, then there was a ceremony held. It was called a lot of different things, but one of it was called, one of the names was the adoption of sons. When that son was, was given authority over the household. Now, Paul in Galatians was saying, even so we in verse 3, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. Our power was restricted. We were in bondage. He's saying anybody that was not born again, is like a child in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. That we might, after having proven ourselves, receive the adoption of sons. It's when we transition from being a child to becoming part of the household. Paul would say, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I thought as a child. I did childish things. But when I became a man, I put away those things. So there comes a point in our walk with God where there's got to be a transition from immaturity to maturity, from being in bondage and living with part. Oh, I've got the title. It's not just referring to sons that were not biologically part of the family. These were sons that were biologically part of the family. Even Jesus Christ, 100% divinity, 100% humanity, still went through. Where did it happen? It happened when John baptized him. And he comes out of the water and the voice from heaven speaks to John who was the high priest in his time, in his element, under the anointing. And, and God confirmed to John, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the ministry of Jesus Christ went to another level. Because he starts walking in authority and power. Moving quick. And because you are sons, verse 6, what did I skip? Verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now we understand through the as, as spirit-filled believers what the word was saying when he said, I'm going to give you power to become the sons of God. But what if just having the Holy Ghost wasn't enough? With many of the words that he exhorted, you're part of the kingdom, but do you are you operating under full authority, dominion, and power? Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The process of redemption gives you and I the ability to be recognized by God as a son or a daughter. I'm still preaching, save yourself. The infilling of the Spirit for the believer is one's spiritual birth into the kingdom of God. That's what he was talking about when he told Nicodemus, except you're born of the water and of the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom. You're still a child under the bondage of the things of the world. But when we, there is a declaration of sonship 
and the recognition of such. When we begin to cry, Abba, Father, it's an acknowledgement that we are embracing this new authority in the Father's house. We are recognizing that there's no longer a tutor between God and us. That I've got direct access to the Father. Which is why I can pray in the Spirit. And the Spirit will make intercession. I don't have to go into some phony little booth and tell a priest... You might have to if you were still a child living under bondage. Acts 2.38 for the Catholic. It's for the Catholic. Remove the tutor. Get direct access to God. It happens when I experience a revelation of who I am. In the kingdom of God. When I see my purpose and I see my destiny in God's kingdom. When I make my life revolve around the kingdom. And not the other way around. My priorities are messed up. If I... I do not adjust my church attendance around my schedule. I adjust my schedule around church attendance. I don't adjust the kingdom around my personal goals and dreams. I adjust my personal goals and dreams around the kingdom. If God wants me to be a plumber or if I want to be a plumber, I'm going to ask how can I use that for the kingdom? I don't adjust the church around my life. I adjust my life around the kingdom and if what's going on in my world doesn't fit with the kingdom does the kingdom go well if you put it like that I did put it like that I did put it like that and I'm not trying to be mean I'm not trying to be nasty I'm trying to get you to save yourself I'm trying to get you to save yourself from yourself when did it become okay for me to make the kingdom fit into a mold? Honey, the kingdom's never been in a mold. It will never be in a mold. I adjust my schedule around the kingdom. Let me just have a seat. I'm going to tell you a, a personal story because those are the best ones I know. Y'all know I work a secular job. I'm not married to that job. I'll, I'll leave it in a heartbeat. God says it's time. Elder, my first year of sales... My second year of pastoring. Sold $256,000 worth of material, worth of jobs, inventory. Three days before Christmas, they tried to fire me. And I was sitting in a meeting, and, and first of all, I refused to go. I said, no. It is three days before Christmas. This is not happening like this. Well... So yeah, you better go get the boss and make him come do this himself. So we sit down at the table. He said, well, Rich, I just feel like your ministry comes before your job. There was no dead space. I said, you bet your biscuits. I said, you better absolutely believe that it does and it always will. And if that's a problem, I will leave now. I said, this job will never be more important than my calling. This job will never be more important than the kingdom. 
And that's just the way that it is. Long story short, I'm still there. Okay. My second year in sales, I sold $460,000 worth of merchandise. My, second, or my third year in sales was $796,000. Last year was $1.1 million. This year already in September, I'm already over $1.1 million. I'm not saying that to glorify myself. I'm telling you, when you make sure that your world revolves around the kingdom, you will not lack. I've got a friend whose dream was to make $60,000 in one year. It's a good dream. But God's got bigger dreams than that. Last year, that individual made $86,000 in one year. This year, that individual is bumping $89,000 in September. You cannot, you've got to make up your mind. I'm saving myself from a wicked and perverse generation that says seek the things of the world first. I'm, I'm preaching in a generation that says you've got to sell your soul if you want to become anything. No, I'm here to preach to you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things will be added unto you. That individual's desire was to make $60,000 in one year. They made $7,000 in one day. Because they decided to seek the kingdom first. I'm not preaching about money today, but I'm telling you, you will never go wrong seeking the kingdom first. You'll never go wrong with saving yourself from the ideology of the world. You will never go wrong with putting the kingdom business first. Verse 8. How be it then, when you knew not God? You did service unto them which by nature are no gods. I didn't do that. Yeah, you did. Intentionally or unintentionally, before you were a born-again believer, you were in idolatry. It's harsh, Pastor. That's the truth, honey. You're serving the gods of the world. Just is what it is. It is what it is. That's the platform that Peter is standing on, preaching, save yourselves from this untoward generation. You're wrapped up in it. You're tangled in it. Save yourself. Cut yourself loose. Give yourself permission to live for God. Now, let me preach to those of us who had a little time under our belt. Verse 9. But now after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Honey, you knew it was wrong when you were first converted. Why are you running back to it now that you've got time under your belt? Paul said, though me or an angel preach any other gospel unto you other than that which we have heard, let him be accursed. If it was not good when you first came to the kingdom, it's still not good. If it was unclean when you were converted, it's still unclean. The kingdom of God does not go backward. That's called backsliding. Save yourselves. How 
I'll turn you again to the weak and beggarly elements. You come into the house of God and you experience powerful, explosive atmospheres. How, how can you get a taste of that and then go back out into the world and get drug, drug down into the mire of the world again? He said, you got to save yourself from this. you got to save yourself from the things that are weak, the things that are beggarly. What's it mean? It's weak. It's without strength. It's weak physically or morally. You take it a step further. Paul was saying that these things that are called weak, they're called weak because they are insufficient to enable man to come to salvation. You're entangled in things that are going to take you to hell is what he's saying. They're weak. And they're beggarly. To be beggarly is to couch, or crouch rather, or cower like a beggar. There's a physical position that comes with being beggarly. It's bent over. It's deeply destitute. It's completely lacking resources. It's as helpless as a beggar. It relates to the pauper rather than the mere peasant. Because uh, to be a pauper is the extreme opposite of being rich. Now our Lord who is rich in mercy. Our Lord, who is rich in mercy. Our Lord, who is rich in mercy, has not designed us to live a little can. Jesus, I just need barely enough to get by. He said, oh no, that's not the way my kingdom works. That's not what I've designed you to live in. You gotta save yourselves from just barely getting by. You gotta cut loose. You gotta cut the ties that are holding you back. Peter's saying, listen, you've heard the word. Now you've got a choice to make. You've heard this preaching on this Sunday morning. We can all, we can stand. Musicians, you can come. They're called beggarly, called poor, because unlike the gospel, they are not accompanied by the outpouring of spiritual gifts and grace. They're not able to take away shame or guilt or provide a conversion to treasure hidden in earthen vessels. They're weak. They're beggarly. From that type of thing, Peter is saying, save yourself. the danger. Deliver yourself into the safety. Allow yourself to come into the presence of God to be delivered, to be rescued from the penalty and power of sin, to be brought into the provision and safety of the kingdom of God. To be saved from destruction. To be brought into divine safety. God is wanting you and I today to respond to the preached word of God. So that we might be saved from ourselves. So that we might be saved from a wicked and perverse generation. No, you don't have the power to redeem yourself. That's not what Peter was preaching. And that's not what we preach. That's not what we believe. However, we do preach the power of a choice power of a choice is I can choose to live for God and there's nothing that hell can do to stop me I can save myself by responding I can save myself by choosing the change I don't want to choose something that's weak. I don't want to choose something that's beggarly. I don't want something that's below the industry standard of heaven. It's a big catchphrase, the industry standard. Simply stating that I accept the Lord Jesus as my personal Savior is below the industry standard of heaven. 
that's beggarly. That's the opposite end of the spectrum because it's simply giving me a false hope of salvation without providing me the goods of salvation. Don't settle for less, but choose today to jump into the kingdom with both feet to save yourself. With many other words, he exhorted them. He preached to them. There's something bigger than you. There's a kingdom beyond what your eye can see. And God's drawing you today. He wants to be your Lord and your Savior. He wants to be the master of your life. But you've got, a, you've got the power today to choose. I can save myself by stepping out of my pew, stepping away from this chair, and coming to an altar saying this is how I respond I want what God's got for me or I can choose to settle back the choice is mine the choice is mine save yourself save yourself come on somebody lift your hands somebody lift your voice today Oh.